0: You know what? All of you who are here this morning, I'm so proud of you. I really am. Like, there are two kinds of people. Let's do that, this thing, this morning, all right? There's two kinds of people. It's those who wake up, look at the challenges of life like snow, and are like, eh, and they figure out something to do inside. And then there are people like you. We don't need to say any more than that, All right. So that's it. My name is Dwight. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, So glad to be with you. We're in this series called Him and Her. Uh, It's a 10 week series. Last week, uh, Jordan killed it. Like, that's a good thing. Um, On the Imago Day, the image of God. This week, we're doing him. Next week, we're doing her. And then I think it's gender fluidity, sexuality, dating, singleness, marriage, porn, sex. Like, this is just going to be a fun series to do. Um, lots of fun because there's no abrasion that happens. There's no abrasiveness in our culture when we talk about those topics, right? So it'll just be a feel-good series for us. Um, be nice. So uh, I, I wanted to start out with this video. Have you have you seen this video? Against Is this the best Have you seen that? Yeah? Okay, if you haven't, don't, don't look it up right now. Hopefully I can stop it. There we go. Because uh, that probably won't be the best way to watch that. Uh, but it's very interesting because Gillette has always said, Gillette is that, that shaver, razor thing. Um, and they've always had this this phrase, the best a man can get, right? And so then they went and made this, this ad. And the ad's gone viral, okay? And it's polarizing. There's no one in the middle that's like, I'm not sure how that makes me feel. Um, there are people who hate it and there are people that love it. And so I'm so glad that that came out this past week because this is exactly what we're going to be speaking about today. We're going to be talking about him. And here's what the ad did. The ad showed us that the culture is dissatisfied with current expectations of what it means to be male. There's a dissatisfaction in the way that males have acted, treated one another, treated others, treated women uh, there's just a, a cultural dissatisfaction with maleness in and of itself, and the ad pushes for change to happen. And so, without saying yes, I fully agree with the video, or I completely disagree with the video, I, I'm not, I'm not there, right? And that's not what this is about either. But I do agree with the video on on one thing: that change needs to happen. And this isn't just a male thing. Some of you ladies are like, "Hmm, change does need to happen." All right, um, and I also want to preface this with this. Uh, today, I'm primarily going to be speaking to men, um, and so if you're a man, this is for you. However, if you're here and you know a man, uh, or you've ever seen a man, uh, there's one in here, or you're looking for a man, or any of those things, uh, this is for you as well. All right. Next week, we'll be talking about her. Right, we'll be talking about uh, what it means to be to be female and she. And in her in, in this world and what's going on, but today focusing in on men. Alright, so I agree with, with the video in that men need to change. Alright? And but I have three questions to that video. Why should we change? Why should change happen? Why should we go for the change that Gillette's pushing and not someone else's idea of change? Secondly, how would that change actually take place? So scope and sequence. And the third thing would be, what is the final product that we'd be looking for a man to actually be? That if we saw that, we'd say, ah, that's what it looks like to be a man. Because we have tons of different opinions on what this means. So let me start with this. I'll start with Jordan's sermon from last week and sum it up in a sentence. Jordan went way too long. Could have been a sentence, right? No, he did a great job. Uh, The sentence would be that men and women are made equal and they're made in the image of God. So that's where we start. That all humans are equal and worthy of dignity, not based on what they've done, not how long they've been around, not whether they're considered a human or a person. You get into abortion, you get into those two things. Is it a human or a person? It's not based on, on any of that. Our worth is based on the fact that we are made in the image of God. We're equal. But the reality is that this image of God is expressed differently. And I'm not giving Dwight's opinions this morning, though I love to give my opinions on lots of different things. I'm very opinionated, right? Don't say right, so thank you for silence. That was an appropriate time for silence. But the expression comes from the author. We're going to hear from the Bible today. We believe that God has given this to us, and it's actually his word to us. That it's his word, and we get to submit our lives to it. We get to live under it, not as a repressive thing, but a free thing. That we get to live as we were intended to live. And the author, as Jordan pointed out last week, has authority. He gets authority. He gets say in what actually takes place. And he calls for his image bearers to express themselves in these two ways, male and female. He gives genders. And then he puts the biology underneath it. Now, this isn't a sermon on gender fluidity or exceptions, okay? That's gonna come in a few weeks. But biologically, we we found chromosomes, right? XX, XY, and there's an exception, the XXY. Okay, but let's stick to the XX and XY. Okay, that's majority of us, majority of culture. So biologically, you've been made male female. This wasn't a cultural invention. This is biology speaking, and biology, we believe, is the handiwork of the creator. So he gets authority over what takes place with that. Now, every culture, I think this is what Gillette was going for, they have an image that they want a man to be made in. But in the Middle East, they have an idea of what they want a man to be as well. Right? There was just a a woman that landed this past week, or two weeks ago from, was it Saudi Arabia or Iraq? Am I the only one reading news? Okay, Saudi Arabia, um, who, who landed, fleeing her family, right? Because the, what's going on underneath that is, is her role in that culture she didn't like. And she doesn't want for males to, to be the way that males are and the restrictions that would be placed. I'm not, this isn't a right or wrong statement. I'm just saying what's going on that other cultures have different ideas of what it means to be male, and they want to take males and push them into that form. That's what our cultures do. We have phrases like, you're not a man, or you're not a man's man, or that's a man's man, or boys will be boys. That's a cultural statement. right? That's based on what we expect from men and what we expect for them to actually be. But let me say this. There's been a, a lot I would say I, so. My undergrad degree is in social work. I was one of the only guys in my class. All right, a lot of women, a lot of females, and I was consistently told that that like men are garbage, men are nothing, like men are abusers, men are haters, viva la women, you know. And I'm like, okay, sure, um, whatever. Um, but here's the reality: men matter. Men matter in our culture. So same social work class, right? When they would see a dad in, in, in a session, when they would see a dad being a dad and a husband being a husband the way that we think that they should be, they're like, man, men are so important to these lives. So if we could just get all the right men involved, then all of my female friends in my social work class would have been like, men are so important. Men matter. And do you know why men matter? Is because so many of the issues that we were dealing with were daddy issues. Because daddy either abused, daddy was absent, daddy was a deadbeat, daddy was codependent. Right? There, almost every issue that we would see at some level had something to do with the dad. It happens. Almost every counseling appointment that I sit in, I ask this question. Tell me about your relationship with your dad. And it's like, no, that's not why I'm here. I'm like, yeah, but just tell me. Because that's going to help me understand so much about you. That men matter. Have any of you seen the show This Is Us? You cry babies. Um, I, I saw that, that This Is Us is like cry porn. I didn't even know what that was. But that's what an article said this week. There you go. I knew you're looking for that information. Uh, you made it here, adventurer. There you go. So, this is us. If you boil everything down, what's this is us about? Dad. Dads. Jay-Z, the wonderful theologian, says this. All my songs up till this point have been, I want to use his accent, but I can't, uh, have been about anger with my dad. Men matter. Men matter. Culture says men matter, but here's the thing. We can't listen to this is us. We can't listen to Jay Z, Jay guess, in Canada. Um, we can't listen to culture primarily to, to understand how men should be and act and live and do. We can't. We have to listen to the author who has authority. So, this is what we're going to do this morning. We're going to listen to the creator to find out what does it mean to be a man? What does it mean to be a man? So we're going to be in the book of Genesis. If you don't have a Bible as you're leaving today, please take one. We always put verses up here, um, but we want for you to be able to have the Word of God for yourself. If you have one of these smart thingies, uh, you could download um, a Bible on there as well. But we believe that God actually speaks to us through this. So we're going to be in Genesis' first book in the Bible. It was read to us previously. We're going to slowly go through this. So here it is. It's fascinating. I was wiping off dust off this table earlier, and I said, I'm just wiping off man, right? Because the Lord took dust from his creation, formed it together, and breathes life into this sculpture so that it becomes a living being. What we're going to do is we're going to work through Genesis 2 this morning, and I'm just going to highlight some things about the how God intended his creation to happen, what went wrong, And then where our hope actually is. So what does this tell us about men? Number one, men aren't self-made. Read it. Men aren't self-made. We have this thing in our culture that we're obsessed with self-made people. Stories from the ashes where people rise up and somehow make it themselves. But when you read people like Malcolm Gladwell, he says no one is self-made. Everyone always has basically the stars line up for them and circumstances happen in a way that no one else had to happen for them so that everything would go right. Nobody is self-made. So Malcolm Gladwell says it, but with even more authority, the Lord says it. He says, I formed you. I breathed you into existence. But here's the beautiful thing about men. And men, if you're like me, you're going to struggle with this. You feel like you need to accomplish something to be worthy. Here's what the Lord says. You are worth something before you accomplish anything. The Lord formed you from dust, blew his life into your nostrils, and that breath hasn't gone out yet. That you are worth something before you accomplish anything. That you have a creator who loves you, who has knit you together in the womb, who's been following you and pursuing you, And showering you with grace? Grace is a gift, things you don't deserve? Man, this is who you are. You're not self-made. You're made by the Creator for Him to live out His intentions. Secondly, Genesis 2, 8-14. The Lord God planted a garden in Eden. When you think garden, think less like beet farm, Dwight Schrute stuff. I hate that about my name. Right? I really do. Like, people are always like, oh, Dwight, at least this past week, uh, I go to this juice place sometimes for lunch, and I was saying, hey, my name's Dwight, I come here often, what's your name, where are you from, blah, blah, blah. And he says, Dwight, Dwight. I'm like, ah, oh, here it comes. He's like, Dwight, from The Walking Dead. I'm like, I will take it. <laughs> you know, like, anything is better than beet farmer. Anyway, but think less beet farm, think more paradise. Think where you'd like to be right now instead of the snow apocalypse. all right? The Lord God planted paradise. In Eden, in the east. And there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. For, yes, the, the tree of life is in the midst of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now just pay attention to this. This is just extra. This is amazing. A river flowed out of Eden. Right. This is on the, the description section of the home you're looking to buy. A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first is the Pishon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold. And the gold of that land is good. Bedallium and onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is the Gihon. By the way, if you're ever reading Old Testament things, just read them fast, and everyone thinks that you know what you're talking about. You pronounce it right. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Cush. And the name of the third river is the Tigris, which flows East of Assyria and the fourth river is Euphrates. So let me, let me unpack this, okay? Simply, men are made to enjoy. Men are made for joy. You're not self-made and you're made to enjoy things. Men, so often we, we feel like we can't rest, we can't sit down, we have to accomplish, we have to task list, we have to do all this stuff, But you're made for joy. Look at the home that the first man gets. Look at the home. It's it's a paradise. You have reproducing groceries taking place. Right? No more Costco trips. Last Saturday, I went to Costco. I texted Jess on the way home. I said, I'm never going to Costco ever on a Saturday. Ever, ever again. Right? It's like the fall all over there. Like there's nothing good happening in there at all. We, we stumbled onto this thing where they actually now, not Costco, but we get our groceries delivered to our door. That's amazing. But even better than that is if you open up the cupboard and the groceries are reproducing. You like shut it, You're like ah, you know, that, that was shameful. You open it back up. Oh, baby groceries, good. Right? They're all there. This is, this is the home that Adam had. He had bling everywhere. You we get down as Christians, ah, oh, should you really have a lot of jewelry? Should you have nice things? You should give more to the poor. The home of Adam is like, oh yeah, there's a gold mine over there. Like gold is in your living room. This is amazing. And life, real life. Life is to be had. Man was made to enjoy. The third thing, though, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work and to keep it. So, work is not a bad thing because men were made to work. So, men aren't self made. Men are made for joy, to enjoy things. And men are made to work. Now, this command is, is dual commands to work it and keep it. I mean, two different things. Let me start with keeping it. Keeping is a maintenance thing. I woke up this morning and uh, went to turn on the cold water to make some coffee, and guess what happened? Cold water wasn't working. Why? Because pipes are frozen again. So what did I get to do? I got to go into keep it mode. I got to go into maintenance mode. This is what keep it means. That you're to maintain the things that have been created and placed before you. You're to be a steward of the things you already have. But to steward it in such a way that you work it. And so work it means to expand. Don't just sit in your little paradise garden. Adam, we found out his name is Adam later on. Don't just sit in your little paradise, Adam, but I want for you to take what's happening here and I want for you to take it all over the earth so that the glory of the Lord, the creator, the author with all authority would be everywhere in every square inch of this earth. So to maintain and to expand, do it with God's seed money. I mean, literally, like you want to start a business, you're looking for seed money. God says, eat an apple, seeds right there. Eat a pomegranate there, kiwi there. Whatever you want, the seed is right there. I want for you to take my glory and expand it all over the earth. So think about this job. You're searching for jobs. And it's like, come work in the perfect company with the creator. Work alongside him. Use all of his resources and his knowledge and expertise. And he's going to be in relationship with you every day to see this work actually happen. That's amazing. The one strange thing in all this is the creative mandate that the Lord gave to Adam in Genesis 2.19. I didn't put it up there. But to name all the animals. That is an overwhelming thing. I read that, and I'm like, oh, that would be so overwhelming. Like, creative fatigue. I think that the people who design IKEA furniture have creative fatigue. Have you ever looked at some of the names, at what things are, are named at IKEA? It's like, blog. It's like, who names a blog? Like, what's that? Oh, it's it's that shelving unit over there. It's like, dumb. Anyway, moving on. Um, keep going. So, men are made not to be self-made, but to enjoy. Men are made to work. Work is a good thing. And next, here we go. Genesis 2, 16 and 17. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree, of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. From the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Man was made to last. You were not made to die, men. This is not you. You didn't have an expiration date put inside of you. You were made to last. With this command, men, we were made to obey and communicate. This is a declarative command. This is not something you you just keep to yourself. Everyone that you come in contact with, you're supposed to be spreading this good news. We can live. We don't need to die. We can live. We don't need to die. We can live in relationship and trust our creator and not die. That we as men were made to be declarers, we are to speak, and as we speak, we tell of the goodness of our creator and our author. We allow other people to live lives of worship because they're understanding that God is worth so much more than going after their own pursuit of that tree. And isn't that our heart, men, that we want to keep going after our own tree? We want to create our own path. We want to make our own glory, find our own worth. We always want to go after some sort of tree that we know we're not allowed to go after. But we want to anyway because we think that will satisfy us. But men, you were made to last. Next, Genesis 2.18. The Lord God said, it's not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper. For him. Men, this is hard to hear. But you were made for relationship. And what this passage is going to do is it's going to go into a marriage. But I'm not talking about marriage. All right? We're going to talk about marriage in a few weeks. Men, you were made for relationship. You were not made to be alone. God saw you sitting with your puppy dog and said, This isn't good. Nothing good is going to happen with Rover. All right? Man saw you frolicking with the lions and and nothing good was in sight. You need community. And that's one of the hardest things to say, I need help. It's one of the hardest things for men, okay, maybe just for me, but to say, yes, please help me with this. I can't do this. Those words are so hard to come out. I can't do this. We'll do projects, okay? I, I built a deck. Uh, last year, by myself, um, for many different reasons. But one of them was, I want the satisfaction of doing this myself. right? And, and it wasn't like an evil thing. But, but we like that. Men like that. We like getting to look at the, the work of our hands, no, no matter how crooked it is or how long it will last or won't last. And you're like, I did that. I did that. But we were made for relationships. Lone Ranger is not God's intention. Nowhere is it in Scripture that we were made to be Lone Rangers. Men or women. All right, I'll include you for a second. Lone Ranger is not God's intention. That we need community. We need community. As I said, this is going to lead into a passage about marriage. We're not going to touch that. But let me say this. Genesis 2.25 talks about the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Let me talk about the shame piece not naked peace. When men live as God intends for men to live, there's no shame. You can live in community and not be ashamed. You can have people look in on your life, see what internet activity you're doing, see what you're doing in relationships, see where you go, and there'll be no shame. Uh, To be on staff with Church 21, you have to subscribe to something called Covenant Eyes, where we actually have a Uh, organization called Covenant Eyes flag things in your internet searches. Because we don't want to be men or women who have to live in shame, who have to live a hidden life. And if you want to go after those things, then there's help. Because those things won't ultimately bring you satisfaction. When we as men live as God intends, there's no shame at all. Let me just make a few side notes too. Genesis two twenty four talks about the way marriage is supposed to happen. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Uh, we have Peter Pan syndrome. Never want to grow up. Watch Hook with our kids a few weeks ago. Uh, mostly okay uh, for them. Uh, I think it was made in 1991, so I had these great recollections of what it is. It's always disappointing when you watch a, a movie that you loved as a kid, and you're like, actually, it was pretty lame. But the idea is that, like, Robin Williams was playing Peter Pan, and he was never supposed to grow up, right? And he gets back to Neverland, he forgets his kids, he forgets, he's like making out with mermaids and stuff. That's where it got weird. I'm like, I don't know, we'll explain it to the kids somehow. It's okay to make out with mermaids because they don't really exist, so I I don't know. Um, But for for this, like men don't want to grow up, but God's intention is that you grow up. You grow up. Paul talks about putting childish things away. That you become men of commitment. Men of responsibility. Men who go to work. Men who desire the good of others, not just yourself. Men who aren't consumed with me. But men who would look to serve others and give their lives up to serve in that way. This is not what our culture is calling for, but this is what God is calling for. So... This is God's intention. This is what a man should be. But the, the culture, Gillette picked it up. This Is Us picked it up. Jay-Z picked it up. Men are broken and confused. What does it mean to be a man? What does it really mean to be a man? My dad says one thing. This pastor's saying another thing. Gillette's telling me another thing. I'm getting confused with what it means to actually be a man. And I'm broken. Most men are sh- ashamed Because they think they should be doing more. They don't know why, but they just think that they should be doing more. They should be producing more. They should be in a relationship better. They should be handling their finances better. There's always something for a man to be doing better. And there's so much shame. Men can't even look men in the eye most of the time. Watch conversations between men. They can't even look one another in the eyes. Because there's just shame in who we are. So what happened between God's intention and now? Well, simply say it this way. Men chose something better. And I use quotes for better. Here it is. Genesis 3, 1 through 5. Now the serpent. Let me get this out of the way too. The serpent is Satan. We believe that there's a real being called Satan. That he's an enemy of God. That he was an angel that was created. Who rebelled against God. And who was thrown out of heaven. And who is condemned for all of eternity. And yet he still according to the Bible, roams around the earth, seeking people who he can devour. So if you have lots of doubts about who God is, it might be the work of the enemy. He's still moving and active. So the serpent, he was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees." In the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. God was put on trial here by humanity. God was being put on trial by the serpent with humanity as the jury. And humanity is sitting, listening to the arguments, thinking about what God had said. And yet the arguments of this lawyer, this serpent lawyer, they sound really, really good. Because he's saying, oh, God is lying to you. His character can't be trusted. There's a hidden Easter egg in the oasis of creation. Any ready player one, people? The book is way better than the movie. But the idea in this movie is that there's a hidden Easter egg you need to find. If you find it, you get all of the riches that the creator of the Oasis had had made. And so this is what the serpent is saying. That there's a hidden Easter egg somewhere. And I'm telling you what it is. And if you go after it, then everything is going to be yours. You're going to be just like God. You'll be an object of worship. You'll be just like God. God is trying to suppress you. His intent is not good. You won't die. You can last. But man was already made to last, right? Men were made to last. Women were made to last. He's saying if you eat it, you will last. Your eyes will be open to know evil. And not just know it intellectually. They knew what evil was. Evil was eating the tree, but they would know evil by experience. And the last thing he says is you will be just like god and this is brilliant you know all of us in this room want to be like god all of us do and that is an amazing desire it is an amazing desire and the reason you have that desire is because you already are like him have you ever been been eating something and you have a desire to eat it But you're like, I'm eating it, and I I still want more of it. It's like watching kids on their third slice of pizza. They're eating as fast because they see other people hovering over the boxes, and they need to push it. Maybe that's you. I don't know. Grow up. Be responsible. Slow down. Metabolism will slow down as well. Um, It does. It sucks. But we all want to be like God. And so this is brilliant because he's appealing to something that they already wanted, but they already had, but they thought was Not sufficient. So what should have happened at this moment? The man should have stand up and said, shut up, snake. Strange to have to say that, but that's what he should have said. He should have preached. He should have preached. Men, we were made to be preachers, every one of us. We were made to speak against lies. And and women, you too, you were created to speak against lies. You should have preached. Genesis 2, 16, and 17. We're going to die. You're lying to us. This is not how we're made. But instead, what happens? Genesis 3, 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. You know what was the saddest thing for me of this whole story? I grew up going to this thing called Sunday school went to church and like before church gathering happened we would have this little class time and i heard stories about this and it was always that like the man was off doing something manly i don't know like plowing fields or chopping down trees doing something and the poor woman was all by herself and if the man would have just been there right and this is this is not the correct interpretation but if the man would have just been there then Things wouldn't have gone bad. Like, come on. The man was right there. The text says it. The man was right there. He didn't just show up and say, huh? Oh, we got some fruit. Okay. It wasn't that. He's there listening to it all. He's listening to his wife debate this snake. Right? At some point it's like, honey, it's just a snake. Like, let's go. <laughs> We're naked and unashamed. Let's go do something else. Right? They should have just moved away. But he was silent. And he didn't act. The silence of Adam is one of the saddest things to ever happen in the history of humanity. That this didn't get preached against. And what's even more cowardly is that he let her eat first. He was there. It's like, go ahead, honey, drink, drink the poison. I'll see what happens. Right? It's like... She eats it, she's like, ah, oh, it's really good. Oh, okay, you didn't die? All right, I'll take it. What a coward. So he actively participates in the rebellion once he sees that his wife doesn't die. And in that moment, everything changed. Here's the outcome of their, their action. That men began to hide and rationalize right away. Men, how many of you do that? Don't, don't put up your hands, all right? But... A problem happens. We do something that would bring shame on ourselves. What do we do? I want to hide it and rationalize it that it's not that bad. This is what Adam does. The eyes of both were opened and they knew they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. It's not that bad. I mean, I preferred being naked, but like this loincloth looks really good and blue. You know, it's not that bad. It's going be fine. Hide and rationalize. They weren't made this way. The next thing is that they begin blaming. There's a culture of blame that starts. Genesis three eleven to 13. God says when he comes to them, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, oh, I did it. It's all my responsibility. He says, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate. Really, he says, God, it's your fault. It's not even her fault. It's your fault. You wouldn't have given her. If you would have taken a different rib, I preferred this rib being taken instead. You'll find about the rib stuff next week. Um, But if you just would have done things differently, Lord, I wouldn't have sinned. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you've done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. The man starts a culture of blame that the woman follows the man into. Thirdly, they lost their home in the world. Not a big deal, right? Adam says be... And to Adam he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground. The earth is cursed because of you. If we were just more gentle with men, then they'd be fine. The whole earth is cursed because of you. Right? In pain, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Verse 23 and 24. The Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed a cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Lost their home and the world. The world is cursed because of the silence and rebellion of Adam. Lastly, death. By the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. So this is pretty bleak. How does this translate into today? I made a little list. Here's how men are described today. Absent, irresponsible, noncommittal, children, living with their pants off but porn on, living lives that are all about me, comparing themselves to one another so that they feel better about themselves. Like this is how the culture views men. And this is inside the church as well. Inside the church, we have a history, like the larger church, of, of going between being chauvinistic and then passively silent. And we think that like the pendulum has to swing all the way. Well, we've been too chauvinistic, so we'll just move out of the way, and we won't, we won't do anything. Or no, we haven't been doing anything, so now we really need to get involved. We'll take the reins, give them to us. This has been the pendulum inside of the church. And yet both of those are wrong. Both of those are not the way that God desires for men to live. So is this hopeless? Is this where I say, all right, now go enjoy your Sunday? That would be really lame. Because there is hope. There is hope. But how do we regain manhood according to our creator? And I would say it's not on your own. Tony Robbins is not going to give it to you. Joe Rogan is not going to give it to you. Whoever, whatever male figure you're looking to, they're they're not going to give it to you. Because, men, we're not going to be able to develop this change on our own. It's going to come with a seed. It's going to come with a seed. And that seed is found in Genesis 3.15. During all of this evil, God says, I will put enmity between you, speaking to the serpent, Satan, and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring, or her seed that is to come. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise is now, if I had more time, I'd do all the work, but we don't have this much time. So that seed, her offspring, is not the next child she has. It's the child that will come. Because a seed, little biology, okay, seed begins in a man, goes into a woman. Right? Leave it at that. Okay? The seed that we're speaking about starts in the woman. Doesn't take a man. But it can't come from the woman alone either. So it's God who does this work. Of placing his seed inside of the woman. And the seed is is Jesus. That when Jesus comes, Jesus is the perfect man. And he wasn't just an example for men, he was an example for women as well. But he was the perfect God man. Fully God, fully man. And here's what Jesus does when he comes. First of all, he was sent. He didn't say, I'll go do it. This is my initiative. I'll be a self made God. No. The Father. We believe in God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Three persons, one God, three persons. You're like, that's really mind-boggling. I know. I know. And I've read a lot on it. It doesn't get easier to understand. This is the the beauty of who God presents himself to be. One God in three persons, yet one God. Same in essence. Existing for all of time in harmony. And God the Father sends God the Son So Jesus is sent by the Father to be on his mission to rescue men and women who have fallen down on the job of bringing him glory with all of their lives. We call that sin. Missing the mark of perfection is sin. Therefore, we're all sinners in this room. We've missed the mark that God has set. But Jesus never did. He came as the perfect God-man sent to save people just like us, sent to, to come after men who were broken. Have you ever read about the people that Jesus asked to follow him? I I would not have chosen those 12 men. I just wouldn't. I would have logically looked at it and said, these guys, they're going to fight. They're they're not going to line up well together. There's going to be all kinds of issues. And yet Jesus does. And he doesn't go after like good church boys that memorize everything. Like these guys are hard. These guys want to want to cut off people's ears after they've been following Jesus for three years. These are the type of guys that Jesus goes after. And he's sent to rescue people like that. That Jesus is sent to serve. Jesus doesn't come to be served, but to serve and give his life away. Jesus lived a life of dependence. He depended on the Father. He took his godness and set it aside without setting aside being God. He said, I'm not going to tap into my power I have being God, I'm going to live as a man under dependence of the Father, just like you and I are called to live, and yet full of the Spirit of God, the same way that you and I can be filled with the Spirit of God. He was dependent, and he took responsibility. Jesus could have said, you guys all screwed this up. I'm walking away. I'm done with you. But Jesus says, no, you're mine. You're my creation. You're my handiwork." I'm going to give my life away. I'm going to go to the cross and be hung on a tree for your rebellion. Men, your rebellion, your silence, your chauvinism put Jesus on the cross and you are so loved that he was glad to do it and and yet it needed to happen. Absolutely needed to happen. You can't be restored any other way than through being forgiven by Jesus' death. In his blood. There's no other sacrifice. You can't stay at home more. You can't take more paternity time. You can't give more. There's no sacrifice that you can make to restore who you're supposed to be. Only through the death of the perfect God-man can you be given that forgiveness. Jesus came to declare and to demonstrate that you men are loved. He showed that you are loved by laying down his life And then he showed that you're loved by getting up out of the grave again. And he promises that as his spirit dwells in you, you will be restored. You will be made just like Jesus. Men, you have the spirit of God. If you've submitted to Jesus, if you've bowed your knee in faith and said, Jesus, I need you, you've repented, you've turned away from from your sin, from your idea of the way that life should be and turned to his And you are given the same spirit that dwelt in Jesus. The same spirit that that moved him in all of his ministry. The same spirit that rose Jesus out of the grave. He dwells in us. And he wants to transform you to be just like Jesus. Not like Gillette. But to be just like Jesus. So I want to finish with this. Jesus made some I must statements during his life. I must go to the next town and preach. I must do this. I must go to the cross. I must Jesus was obsessed with his vision that the Father had given to him. Jesus didn't have his own plan that he was working out. He was living in dependence fully on what the Father had for him. And so I developed a list based on what I see in scripture of men what we must be. This isn't an option. This isn't like, yeah, those other people will do it. This is us. So here's our I must. Here's our I must. The first is this. If you could turn to the next slide because the the child there is holding up our slide from changing. Uh, I must be dependent. I must be dependent. You You are sons. There we go. You are sons of God. This means that you have everything that you need. You don't have to do anything to become a son. You already are. The father looks at you and says, I'm pleased with you today. So many of you men I know want to hear from your dad. I am pleased with you. I am pleased with you. I'm proud of you. I'm proud of what you've done. You long for that. And you work so hard. And he might not even be around anymore, but that's still driving you. Because you want to show him that you're worth something. Well, this morning the Father says, I am pleased with you. You don't have to strive anymore. The Father says, You are not rejected. I have not rejected you. I have not pushed you aside. But you're limited. You're limited. You need me. You need to be a man that depends on me, not on your gifts, because those gifts could be gone in an instant. We are dependent men. We are dependent men who pray. I don't know a lot of guys who love to pray. I don't know a lot of guys who have these thriving prayer lives. But that's our calling, men. It's to get up in the morning before our family gets up and to lift our our hands, holy hands, saying, I can't do it. I don't know how to love my wife as you, Jesus, love the church. I don't know how to raise my kids without just being angry and yelling at them. I don't know how to how to share or, or shepherd or care for a church. I don't know how to do these things, but you do. And I'm lifting my hands saying, I need you to do this, that we're dependent. I must be dependent. The second thing is I must be responsible. I must be responsible. Men, we need to be committed. We are so non-committal. We're looking for the best option for me forever. And we try and figure out, like, and you can be figuring this out to your 50 or 60 and be like, oh, now I'm going to move on this thing. Be men who are men of conviction and commitment. you know what I would love to see? Here's, Here's my vision I'm throwing out. I would love to see early in the morning here in our gatherings, men setting things up. Men. Lifting, not that women can't lift heavy things. I get it, okay? Like, some of you women are stronger than me, have bigger biceps than me, okay? Like, whatever. I know my biceps are huge, but yours are huge. huger, all right? But like men who would, who would say, I will wake up early on Sunday morning. I will do this. I will get here. I will set things up. It'd be great to have men who are leading things in our city. It would be great for men to say, I will be a social worker who will step up and I will help be part of this change, It would be great for men to step up in commitment at all levels. Not just for us to do our little thing here. It'd be great to have a lineup of like, ah, there's not enough for you men to do right now. You have to be trained more and wait. But instead, we're grasping for like anyone who will do something. But men, you're calling. You've been created to be men of commitment to the Lord and what he has to do in the city. To be responsible also means... To not blame things on our circumstance. Well, I really wanted to do this, but this happened. It's like, come on, stop making excuses. Stop blaming your reality on these other things. Step up and be committed and make things happen. You have the Spirit of God moving into. Now, there are certain things you can't control, of course, but I'm not talking about those things. That we'd be responsible, that we would be stewarding our resources. Not like, well, I don't know where all this money is going. I don't know where, where these things are going. I don't know what's happening with this stuff. The Lord is giving you things to steward for His glory and His fame. Nothing is yours, it's all His. And that we would be men who are responsible, which means we don't abuse people. We don't abuse people. We don't abuse our family. We don't abuse those that we work with. We don't take advantage of people for our gain. Instead, we suffer and sacrifice so that others can benefit. And we don't abuse people by watching porn. We'll get into this in a few weeks. But a lot of pornography is not women and men who are like, man, we just love doing this, so we show up at work every day. It's amazing. No, a lot of them have been brought in and and need to be doing this for a whole host of reasons. Not most of them are are job security. Most of them are not because we love doing this. A lot of it has to do with abuse. And us watching. I'm I'm just watching. I play no role in this. No, you're abusing. You're continuing this, moving forward. You say that's harsh. Yes, it is. Because that's what's happening. And if you're a man, then we get spoken to like a man. That we are contributing to the abuse of men and women all over this world. People are being sex trafficked because we're masturbating in front of a television screen. That's not what it means to be a man. We are sent. We're sent, which means that we have a vision. We're not passive. We're active in moving towards the vision that the Lord has for us, for our family, for our coworkers, for our friends, for our neighborhood. Are, Are you sitting down? and writing out a vision for the neighborhoods? How do we want to see people cared for and loved in our neighborhoods? How do we want to see the city transformed? Or is there a vision all about your RRSP and how you're going to be taken care of? You feel the hurt a little bit because you want for other people to be taken care of. I must be a servant. And this is to all. This is to all. All. So make a plan for you to be able to serve in priority the Lord. Are you serving him and his purposes primarily? If you're married, are you serving your spouse? Thirdly, are you serving your kids? I mean, I just talked to my wife last night and I'm like, I don't think I'm leading and serving in the area of our kids as well as I want to. How do we make changes on that? Right? So repenting because I want to serve well. This is the good news of repentance that we can change. If we're going a certain way, we can repent and turn away from those things. How do we serve our, our work, our, our neighbors? And how do we serve our enemy? How do we serve those in our city that hate us? That they get to see and savor who Jesus really is. Two more and I'm done. I must declare. I must declare the excellencies of who Jesus is as a man. This means that I know my word. I know the word of God really well. I'm I'm spending time here. I'm learning about who Jesus is. I'm reading big books or small books. I'm reading. I'm learning. I'm listening to podcasts. I'm listening to sermons. I'm in a change group. So I'm learning and changing with with other guys. I'm I'm doing all this stuff because I want to declare who Jesus really is. We're at war. Men, we're at war. I know in Canada sometimes that's strange, right? But Ephesians 6 says that we're, Ephesians is the book of the New Testament, that we're in spiritual battle for our souls and for our joy. That we are at war. And how do we fight with the truth of who God is? The same way that Adam should have fought in the garden. So we fight today. We fight with truth. And when others come around us in community and they're like, man, I'm believing all these lies, we, we speak into that. You don't put a microphone on and yell at them. But we preach against the lies. Because we're at war and we declare the victory of Jesus. can, Can we just say that there won't be any more silent men? You're like, I'm an introvert. I get it. I get it. But I know a lot of loud introverts when they begin declaring. That we are at war. And the person next to you or in front of you or behind you or across from you is at war as well. And the enemy wants to take them out. Montreal is one of the darkest places I've ever experienced spiritually in the world. And I've been to a lot of different places. This is one of the darkest. And it seems so light because we're so sophisticated. And everyone is is clothed and dressed and fashionable. And we can smoke weed here. And like all these things. But it's one of the most spiritually dark places I've ever been. I feel it every time I come back to Montreal. You're at war. And then we need for you to be declarers. To declare the victory of Jesus into the realms where you are. And lastly, we wouldn't just be men who are loud in, in word, but who are loud in actions as well. That we show love. Men, we should be the most generous men that we know. Because we have the most generous God, the only God, who is most generous. That we demonstrate his generosity. That we demonstrate hospitality to everyone. Because everyone is made in the image of God and is worthy of hospitality, being welcomed in wherever you meet them. That we take on the interests of others. Listen to this, men. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also the interests of others. Imagine if everyone you looked at was that. Not someone you can use so you can get something, but someone that you can serve. How do I serve you? How do I care for you? Your interests are more important than mine. Oh, what a legacy men would leave in this city if this were true of men. Not looking out for our own interests, but for his legacy to keep going on and for people's interests to be taken care of. Men that we would demonstrate what it means to be kind, not abrasive men, and that we would risk. I know some of you are very risky in your portfolios, but not so risky in your Christianity. Not so risky in the mission of God. You don't need for all your money to be doing all this stuff, but you need to make sure all these things are in place before you can ever tell anyone that Jesus is alive. Men that you would beg God for courage to be able to open your mouths and then show people what it looks like to live under the rule and reign of Jesus. So, men, here's our call. That that we die to ourselves for the good of others. It's not about your legacy. You have no legacy. You really don't. For we're honest about it, I've said this a bunch of times, but your great-grandkids won't remember your name. They'll just remember someone they went to visit who drooled somewhere. right? Like If you get to meet your grand- great-grandkids, that's probably where it will be at, and they probably won't want to visit you anyway. And I'm not being crude. I'm, I'm being truthful that you don't have a legacy, but Jesus does. Your legacy is caught up in his legacy, that Jesus will not forget you. People will forget you. But people will not forget Jesus. And you're sent out to declare and demonstrate the realities of who he is. So men, despite where you've been, despite how you've lived, despite what's happened, today offers a new beginning. This this sermon, oh my goodness, you're like, oh Dwight, you were so you were so hard. I had to sit in this all week. You just got like 50-ish minutes of this. I got seven days of this. I got to sit under this and and get to say, ah, here I fall short. Oh, I fall short, Lord. Oh, I fall short of this. But I want this. I want this of myself. I want this of myself. I want this for me. Would you change this in me? And this is what the Lord wants to do in you. So I'll end with this. I know I've said that nine times. But men, stand up, please. Um. So, here's a in our culture a non manly thing to be uh, would be to watch musicals. But um, I, I like I like this one, The Greatest Showman. I also like Braveheart and Gladiator, by the way. I just need to put that in. But uh, but but I like I like The Greatest Showman, um, and and I I love my favorite song in it is a song at the end uh, where he's making a change. And, and P.T. Barnum is saying, like, from now on, everything is going to be different. I've been chasing the, what I thought life was, and here's what I, I want to be changing to. And so this, is, this was my prayer. I prayed the greatest showman for you this week, all right? Uh, here, he says, from now on, what's waited till tomorrow starts tonight. We, we as men, we put things off. We don't, we'll change tomorrow when things get a bit easier. But let's have change start now, this morning. Whatever the Lord has spoken to you, in, in this message, let him change that in you today. All right, so I'm going to pray for you, especially. Lord, you have made us men in this city. You've made us men here for who knows how long. We are limited in our, in our time, in our scope, in our, in our gifts. We are, we are limited men. And Lord, you've made us, and you've made us very specifically to do a specific thing and to be a specific way. So, Lord, I pray for these, these men. I pray that your intentions, that your heart, that your vision for them, and the things that you spoke to them this morning, that they would say, from now on, this is the way that things are going to be. And then when they're not, I'm going to change again, and, and from now on. That we would live a life as men that, that have this from now on, and I must statement put before everything that we do. That you would make us men of mission who are courageous and bold to go and serve the oppressed. where We won't get anything from it, but we don't need anything from it because you've given us everything. That we would be men that lay our lives down for the good of others. That we would be men that Philippians 2, 3, and 4 is true of. That we would count others' interests as more important than our own. That we'd be humble and, and live in humility and move and, and breathe this. So that we would not be proud and chauvinistic, but that we also wouldn't be passive and silent. Lord, would you allow for, for there to be a, a God-given, God-directed, humble masculinity that moves inside of this church and that seeps into this city? That people wouldn't look as men, at men and say, you are the problem. But that they would say, you matter. We need you. We need you to help us to understand who God is and what he's done. Lord, would you allow us to, to do this today? So we love you and we need you. Amen.